Okay, so we are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. We really only have, we have three messages left. This message and two more messages, and we're going to be done with the book of, of Ephesians. And so we've been, it's been a long journey. Right now we're in the middle of the end here, and it's about, and we've been doing a series called Stand on the Armor of God. And so we're going to look this morning at the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And to introduce this message about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, I want to show you some pictures. So this was about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Well, you, I wasn't going to kind of build up to the picture, but you can leave it up there now. So you like to kind of build up some anticipation. But the, you, you see that's Donald Gay. So you know if you're with Donald Gay, you're probably fishing, right? So Joel uh, at the Women's Restoration Golf Tournament, somebody gave him some raffle tickets. And I think it was Sean Mesh gave him some raffle tickets. He had, he, Sean bought a bunch. Sean won everything. He won like ice chests and all kind of stuff. And uh, he gave Joel some raffles, and it was a winning raffle ticket. It was a, a, a fishing trip with professional fisherman Donald Gay. And so we went yesterday after the rain. We were supposed to go at 6 in the morning, and how, and how many of you know that was not a good time to go fishing here in, in Houma, Louisiana? So we were kind of, me and Donald were texting back and forth trying to figure out the best time to go. And so we went at around 12.30, and we didn't get back till 8.30. It was a long fishing trip. And this is what we look like as we're first going out, right? Look happy, excited. Um, and then here's the next. This is what it looks like next. It's a fast boat. <laughs> that was our hair. Uh, this is probably going 40, 50 miles per hour, which was slow for that boat. And uh, wind's blowing back and everything. And here's the next picture. This is after the boat stopped <laughs> for, for our fishing trip. Now, now, now just before you go to the next picture, what are you, what are you doing when you go fishing? You're fishing, right? But what are you using when you go fish? A bait, right? So here's what fishing really is. Fishing is an attempt to lie to fish. All you fishermen, you're a bunch of liars. You're deceivers. You're trying to deceive the fish that what you have on the end of that pole is good for them. But in reality, it's only good for you. Because you enjoy the, 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 the pulling in of the, of the line there, that's fun to wrestle with the fish. And then you enjoy filleting that fish and cleaning that fish and breading that fish and deep frying that fish and dipping it in, in ketchup or whatever dip you use. You enjoy. It is all for you, right? Right? You, you deceive. That's what you do. When, that's why we call it a bait. So here's what happened after we lied to some fish. Look at that bass. I think it's around a four-pound bass. Is that a big bass? This is a big bass right there. And so we had a great time. Thank you, Mr. Donald. Where is Donald? Where is he? He's back there. Thank you so much. We had a wonderful time. And um, so we, we're, we're, we're going to go back. We're definitely going to go back. But, but that's, that is temptation and deception that led to us catching that fish, right? So the fish was tempted. And he was here. I don't know. He or she, it was a he or she, but, but it was deceived into believing that that hook, and look, the, the, the lure that caught that fish was called a whopper plopper, a whopper plopper, also known as Kermit. <laughs> so Donald, the whole day, he's like, watch what Kermit's going to do, watch what Kermit's going to do. Kermit is it's a whopper plopper, and it, as you reel it in, you cast it, you reel it in, and it makes this, this bubbling type noise, and supposedly the big fish, as you saw, jump on that. And uh, I just have to say, freshwater fishing is tiring. <laughs> Boy, you, you cast and you got to work it. I, I hadn't fished in 20 years. 
right? And my arm last night was tired. It was really, really tired. I was used to salt water where you throw it out there and you just sit. Just sit, you wait for the cork to pop and you got to fish. But, um, so I, I, I need another chance to go back. Okay, all right. But it's deception, right? And this is what we're going to look at this morning. This, this, is, this is what we're going to look at. Have you ever been overwhelmed in the battle of temptation and sin? Have you, have you ever felt like the lure of the enemy was too much for you to resist? Have you felt like, I, I, it's like the whopper plopper, the, you know, it, it's, it's too much, it's, the noise of the enemy is too much for you to resist. It's, it's temptation, it's sin, it's the fiery darts, that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. The fiery darts, the fiery attacks of the enemy against us, temptation, over, uh, be, being overwhelmed, discouraged, his attacks in many different areas. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to not take the bait. It's hard to not be lured in by the enemy and to be deceived. And so this is what we want to look at. We want to look at, as we read this text, as we go to the next two pieces of armor, I believe that we will find answers to how we can win the victory against the attacks of the enemy, against temptation. So let's read the text, Ephesians 6. And as we've done the last several weeks, we will go back to the beginning, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's a schemer. He's working. He's like me and Mr. Donald and Joel. We were scheming yesterday to deceive some fish. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand, having fastened the belt of truth. We have pulled in all the besetting sins, the loose ends of our life. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that's the reminder, that's the truth that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And as shoes for our feet, Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the gospel has transformed us and now we have peace with God and from God. And then now, here's the text we'll look at this morning. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. So here's the question we want to ask this morning. When it comes to dealing with temptation, how can we win the victory? How can you and I win the victory over temptation? And the first answer is in that first part of the text in verse 16. What does it say, that first part of verse 16? It says, in all circumstances. In all circumstances. This is the key. This is one of the first keys for us to understand in this battle against temptation. In this battle against the attacks of the enemy, the flaming darts of the enemy. The first thing we must understand is that we can never take a day off. You can never take a day off in spiritual battle, can you? We can never. It's in all circumstances, at all times, we must stand ready for battle. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're watching football on TV, and you heard the phrase, that that player took a down off? You heard taking a down off? Right? They don't give their all for one down. There's a player that doesn't give their all. They don't go all out. They don't follow the play all the way through. Or maybe in basketball, someone takes a possession off. In basketball, Coach, Coach Freddie, if you ever had players that took a possession off, how long did they stay on the court? Not long. Not long, right? You don't take a possession off in basketball. 
How about in golf, the sport that I love? It's the idea of not finishing your swing, right? So like you just get lazy and you don't finish your swing. And so what, what happens when you don't finish your swing? You, you either you slice it or you hook it. It doesn't go straight, right? You have to follow through. You have to be ready at all times. That means we have to stay alert. We have to be ready. And here's what I know about the enemy as we read earlier. He's a schemer. He's a deceiver. He's always looking for ways to tempt us, to deceive us, to attack us. He is not at rest. He doesn't stop. He's always looking. He's always, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the enemy's attack in your life? Have you ever felt just the weight and the pressure of of maybe a certain temptation that comes against you to sin in a certain way? Or maybe it's discouragement or fear of being overwhelmed and you just feel it. It feels oppressive. Feels like, how, how can I overcome this? And so we must understand that we cannot take a day off. We must always be ready. That's what 1 Peter 5 8 says. Be sober minded. Be watchful. What does it mean to be sober minded? It means to not be drunk, right? And what happens when you're drunk? You're not alert. You're not aware. You, when someone literally drinks alcohol, if they drink too much alcohol and they get drunk, their senses are dulled. And so what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter 5, 8 is that your spiritual senses must stay sharp. You can't be lulled to sleep by things that will dull your senses. Do you know that? There are things in, in this life set up by the enemy that are designed to dull your spiritual senses. To where you can't see correctly about where the spiritual battle is. You can't see correctly about right and wrong and what God's will is and what God's will is not. And so your spiritual senses can be dulled. We must be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? The adversary, he prowls around like a roaring lion and he's seeking. He's continually seeking someone to destroy, to devour. We cannot take the day off. So, so as I was writing that, as, as, as I'm thinking about this first point this last week, as I'm studying and preparing, I, I, I thought of this, this, it's just this feeling that I get sometimes with certain thoughts that I have that, that give me just like this sense, like this is what somebody might feel when I'm talking about not taking a day off. And, and, and I thought maybe there's someone here this morning that would say, why so serious? Like, is it really all the battle? Like, this series is just overwhelming. It's like, every week, you're in a battle, you're in a battle. Oh, man, really, is it that serious? Is it really that serious? Can it really be that big a deal? And I would say the person that said that said the person who doesn't understand the reality of the spiritual battle that they're facing. The person that says that or thinks that, they don't understand. They don't understand yet the reality of the spiritual battle that they're facing. The enemy is always ready to discourage you. He's always ready to get you to the point that you're ready to give up. He's always ready to put the bait in front of you like that whopper plopper, right? He's always ready to make noise like that bait makes noise and to get your eyes to look to the left and look to the right and not to look straight ahead at what is good and true and right and just and holy. He's always ready. He's looking for the opportune time to look for your weakness. And so we must be ready. The truth is, is that our enemy, Satan, does not take a day off. And he doesn't waste an opportunity. Oh, man. He does not waste an opportunity to fire his arrows at the most opportune time. A lot of times after you feel a victory, after you feel like God's done a work in your life, I'm telling you, the enemy will use people and circumstances to fire arrows in your life. 
And it's the most opportune time. You feel, like, you feel like it can't get any better and then the enemy's right there. I think Pastor Freddie talked about this last Sunday. He's looking for the opportunity. In studying this message and studying and looking at 1 Peter 5, 8 about how this roaring lion goes about and, and how he is seeking somebody to devour, I, I, I found in my research a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. He's one of the greatest preachers. He never used notes when he preached. He just got up there. This is in the 1800s and he preached and he was just a great orator. And he was amazing to read his, his transcripts of his sermons. He was such a wordsmith. He did such a great job. And he preached from 1 Peter 5, 8. And the title of his message was The Lion's Roar. And the first point of his message was Satan's Perpetual Activity. Satan's perpetual activity. Now, I want to read an excerpt from Charles Spurgeon's message. Let's take a step back into time, into the 1800s, to London, to a, a crowd of probably about five to 8,000 people. And this is Charles Spurgeon speaking to us this morning. Think for a while how active he must be. We know that he is to be found in every place. Enter the most hallowed sanctuary and you shall find him there. Go where men congregate Upon the exchange, and you shall lack no signs of his being present there. Retire into the quiet of the family circle, and you shall soon detect in bickerings and jealousies that Satan has scattered handfuls of evil seed there. You shall sail from England to America and find him there amidst the clashing of swords. You shall come back and journey across the mighty empire of Russia and find him there in the tyrant's heart. And perhaps, too, even in the enmity which is excited in the hearts of those who are oppressed. You shall go where the name of Jesus is not yet known, but you shall find Satan having dominion there. You have sought to serve God in your daily life, but strong temptations, furious suggestions of evil have followed you there. You have come home from your business almost broken, hearted with your slips. You have come into the family and sought to magnify your master in the family circle, but perhaps in the best moment, when you seemed about to achieve the greatest work, you were tripped up by your heels. Your easily besetting sin has overturned you. Satan was exalted at your fall. You found him there. You have said, I will go to my bed. But in your tossings at midnight, you have found him there. You have risen and said, I will go into my closet and shut the door. But who among you has not met the foul fiend who is there in solitary conflict. When we wish to be wrestling with the angel of God, we have had to contend with the fiend of hell. Isn't that powerful? I just love his words and his language and the way he communicates the never-ceasing activity of the enemy. When it comes to fighting off the spiritual attacks of the evil one, when it comes to quenching the fiery arrows of temptation, we can never take a day off. Why? Because Satan never does. He's constantly prowling about, seeking to destroy. The next thing, as we go to the next part of the text, it says they're in all circumstances now. So we understand, first of all, we have to be alert. We have to be sober. We have to be watchful. Now, now we're going to get to the next piece of armor. Now the Apostle Paul says that we must, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. And now this shield for a Roman soldier that Paul would have had in his mind of what a shield would look like would be probably about a, a two foot wide and a four foot tall shield that a Roman soldier could completely hide behind in the battle. 
And so this is a picture the Apostle Paul would have, is that you need to take up this shield to protect yourself against the firing arrows. And in battle during Roman days, you'd have the front line of soldiers that would all be under, kind of knelt down like this, under these big shields. And behind them would be the, the, the soldiers that would be shooting the arrows. And what they would do, what they would do during Roman times is they would dip the tips of those arrows in tar, in pitch, and they would light it on fire and they'd shoot those arrows to try to hit the unprotected soldier. And so this is the imagery. This is a symbol. It's a shield of protection against the attacks of the enemy. But the Apostle Paul names the shield. He said it is the shield of faith. It's the shield of faith. And this word faith has to do with trust. It's, a, it's trust in God. So one of the greatest protections in our life against the fiery darts of the enemy is our belief and trust in God. It is that belief and trust in God that saves us, right? You believe in him, you trust in him for salvation, and it is that belief and trust in God that keeps you maturing in the faith, keeps you, helps you to resist the temptations of the enemy. You trust in God. And so this idea of trust, there's a, there's a simple picture and I forgot my illustration this morning. <laughs> I forgot my, forgot my illustration, Matt. I was so distracted this morning. No, I don't want you to run and go get it. Uh, that, that would not be good. But, I, but, I, but you'll see what I, I wanted to do. But you just have to visualize it with me. I can't believe I forgot. Oh, well. So there's a missionary named John Patton. And he was a missionary to the South Seas. And, and, and he ministered to a tribal people that, that he had to interpret the Bible for. They didn't understand the English language. And so he had to interpret scripture for them. And so he's working through interpreting the Bible for them. He's ministering to them. But he got to the idea of faith and trust. Trust and faith. And he, he couldn't find a word in their language to really communicate to them what it means to trust and have faith in God. And wouldn't you think that's very important for Christianity? Like, that is the word. We are saved by faith alone, by trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And so he just was really struggling with it. He struggled for, for quite a while, and, and he's at his house, and he's resting at his house. And, and all of a sudden, one of the tribal members comes, and he runs in to his house. He opens the door, and he had been running, and he was out of breath. And the missionary comes, and, and he, he flops himself down on the chair. And it, this, is what, this is what the tribal man said. He said, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair and John Patton said that's it I got it that's what faith is and if I would have had my visual aid I would have had my master's chair from the Augusta National Golf Club when I got to go to the master's and I bought that chair I was going to open up that chair in that in that master's green color and I was going to sit it down and I was going to rest all of my weight on that chair and give you a visual way. That's what faith and trust is. It's where are you going to place your weight? The weight of your life. Where, where are you going to place your weight? You've got you to trust. You've got to put all of your weight back onto God in this battle of temptation. All of your weight on him. Say, God, I am trusting you and your ways above what the enemy is saying to me right now. I am trusting you and your ways above what I feel right now. I'm laying all of my weight. I'm placing all of my trust on you. And I'm resting in you i'm trusting in you and do you know that from the very first temptation that that is what it was all about you know there was a first person that was ever tempted human being that was ever tempted the first human being to ever be tempted was who eve let's look at genesis 3 and let's see how this is the battle this it's about trust 
Who was Eve going to trust? It's this shield of faith. This protection against temptation is about trust. Who are you going to trust? Satan or God? Genesis 3. He said to the woman, the serpent, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree. It is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. A liar right there, the father of lies. And listen, this is it right here. This is where the mistrust was sown into the heart of Eve. And this is how it can be sown in our heart. Listen to what Satan, the serpent, says. For God knows. What's the serpent trying to convince Eve of? He's trying to say, God knows something that you don't about what's going on here. And this is what he knows. That when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, what is Satan trying to convince Eve of? He's trying to tell Eve, you can't trust God. He's withholding something good from you. And I'm telling you that, that this is good. That, th- that if you will take part in disobeying God and not following his ways, that it will be good for you. God's not good. He can't be trusted. His ways are not good. And isn't that where the battle is for us in temptation? Are we going to put all of our weight on God and trust his ways whenever we're tempted to rebel against him? Or are we going to lean all of our weight on the lies of the enemy and trust what he says? Trust what his, he says is best for us. It's about where are we going to trust. The serpent was trying to get Eve to doubt God's goodness. He was trying to get Eve to not trust God's plans and his instructions. You know, there was another person that got tempted. Jesus was tempted. You remember in Matthew 4? Jesus was in, it was in the wilderness. And one of the temptations that Jesus experienced from Satan was that Satan took Jesus up to the, the pinnacle of the mountain. And he says, look, look at all of the, the kingdoms of this world. Look at all this that I can give you. He says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. You can have it all. What was, the temp- what was the temptation for Jesus? Who was he going to trust? Was he going to trust his father who, who had given him all authority and dominion and power? Or was he going to trust the enemy in his ways and, and, and be deceived by what Satan was saying? Where are you going to place your weight when the temptation for sexual sin comes your way? Where are you going to place your weight? Are you going to believe what the enemy says? That, that temporary pleasure is really better than following God? Are, 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 where are you going to place all, all of your weight when the temptation to sin comes in many different ways? Whether it's sexual sin, whether it's lying, whether it's disobedience, whether it's, whether it's stealing, whatever it may be, gossip, any type of sin. Where are we going to lean our weight? Are we going to trust God that his ways are good? You know, sometimes when you follow God, it may not seem like it's the most convenient thing, right? Sometimes following God will ostracize you from people. Have you ever experienced that? In your life, you decide to follow God in his ways. You decide not to take part in things that you used to take part in. Sometimes you lose friends. Sometimes you lose people that you thought were your friends, but whenever you don't celebrate what they celebrate, then, then you lose their relationship. Where are you going to place all your weight? Is God's ways better even when, it, even when it hurts to obey? Even when it hurts to not follow what seems like the easier path? We must rest all of our weight on God and say, God, I don't care what the world is doing. I don't care what the world is saying. I don't care the messages that are out there. God, I'm trusting your ways. I'm believing that, that following you is the best way.
Do you believe that with me this morning? Following God is the best way. Always. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. Whose way are we going to follow? Our own way? The enemy's way? Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust. Trust in who? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean, lean all of your heart. Put all of your weight on the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So how do we fight the enemy in this spiritual battle? It is a shield of trust. It's a shield of faith when the arrows are coming and it's hot and it's heavy and he's attacking you with temptation to sin. He's attacking you with discouragement and fear. What do you do? You throw up that shield of trust and you say, God, I'm trusting you despite how I feel. I'm trusting you despite how tempting this temptation is. I'm going to resist and I'm going to lay all of my weight on you because I know that you're faithful and I know that you're good. And I know that you will sustain me in the middle of this battle. Amen. Amen. Third thing we want to see is this. How are we going to be victorious in temptation? The lies must be silenced. The lies must be silenced. And this is our second piece of armor we will discuss this morning. He says next to take the helmet of salvation. The helmet. So we, we have the shield of trust. The shield of faith that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy because we're trusting God more than ourselves and more than the enemy. And now we need the helmet of salvation. And now the helmet is an obvious protection for a soldier, right? You need a helmet on. You need something that covers your head, right? When you're in battle, your head and your brain, your head is a very important thing that you need when you're in battle, right? So you would protect your head. And so it's a clear picture, a clear symbol for us in spiritual battle that this has to do with our thinking. So here's what I want to tell you, that this shield of faith, this shield of trust, it's connected also, this idea to the, of the helmet of salvation. It has to do with our thinking. It has to do with our thinking. The battle is in your thinking. When you, when you and I yield to temptation, because we all will sin, when, 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 when you sin, what is it that happened? You believed the lie. You believed the whopper plopper. You listened to the noise of that whopper plopper. It made that noise. As Donald was reeling that fish, making that bubbling noise, that fish heard it, and he couldn't resist. And that's what happens when you listen to a lie of the enemy. He makes noise. He, he talks to you in your ear. He talks to, talks to you through things you see through media. He talks to you through, through, relationship, through relationships with people, and he's getting you to hear, listen, listen. And, and if you're listening, then he can lure you. And so this picture of the helmet has to do with our thinking, our mind. The battle is in the mind. The thought life is where the battle rages. And and I know that Pastor Freddie used this scripture last week, but I want to read it again to illustrate this. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, verse 4, "For, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are these strongholds that need to be destroyed? They're arguments. They're lofty opinions. That are raised up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive. So when, when you hear the bait, when the enemy is talking, there's thoughts, there's ideas that can come into your mind that are exalted above the word of God. That are exalted above God's ways. And what must we do? We must silence the lies. 
We must silence the lies with the truth of God's word. As we live our lives every day, we come across many false beliefs and ideologies that are out there. Do you know that? Man, I was just, as I was preparing this message, thinking about sin and temptation, thinking about how the enemy just has all these lies and worldviews that are out there that are anti-Bible. I just was consuming certain, some media this week. I was watching a preview of a show that's coming out and there was just images and things and, and messages that are being produced through TV shows and, 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 and through movies that are out there, just th- through all forms of media and, and just the messages that we listen to, the, the, the perverseness and the anti-God, and anti-Bible things that are there. It can just be so numbing in our culture. And what, what used to be seen as something that is way out there that would never happen and be normal in our country is slowly becoming normal. And what my kids see as normal as they grow up will be different than what I saw as normal if for life and, mor- and morality. Think about the amount of messages you receive in your life every day through interactions with people, through Facebook, through Instagram, through YouTube, through TV, all the different outlets that you receive messages. And what are these messages doing? They're either exalting God's ways and biblical truth or they're not. So really, those are two options. Biblical truth and everything else. And so these messages that we receive, it's, if, if we're not careful, it can erode away our resistance to resist temptation. And we can begin to create a new normal of morality. And that, listen to me, that is happening. That has happened and is happening in our country right now. We live in dangerous times right now where everything that we hold to be true about God and his ways is under attack. And that assault is only going to increase. And those that hold up the banner of truth and of righteousness become the enemies, become those that are filled with hate speech. And really, it's not hate speech. We hold the truth of God's word. This is what this is what we're saying. We're saying that God's ways are best. That God is good. And the yes, God's ways are best. He is the creator. And he created humans to function a certain way. And anything that, 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 that comes against that and, 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 and tries to remove us as humans from God's design for us to function ends in brokenness. Ends, ends in discouragement and fear. Ends in pain that is unspeakable in people's lives. And so our, heart, our message is a message of compassion. It's like, see the light, see the goodness, see the joy, see the peace, see what God has done, see what he has provided in his son. But we live in the middle of what I would like to call the great exchange. We live in the middle of the great exchange. Romans 1 says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, un, against all ungodliness of, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God made it obvious to everyone that he's real. He's alive. He made everything clearly perceived through creation so that we are without excuse. For although they knew God, this is the great exchange, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? Exchange, the great exchange. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They said, we don't want God as creator and judge. 
We want to create something in our own image. So they exchange what is true about God for something else. Therefore, what did God say? God said, okay, you want to go that way? Go your own way. This is where we're at. We live in the middle of Romans 1 right now. The world says we want to throw off restraint. We want to live how we want to live. We don't want to follow a set of moral standards and objective truth. We will go our own way. And God says go. Therefore, God gave them up. He gave them up. Or it could be translated, gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And here's the great exchange. Because they did what? They exchanged. They looked at the truth. Listen. They looked at the truth. It's clear. They looked at the truth and they said, we don't want it. And why do people say that they don't want truth? Because they want what they want. They want to be the God of their own life. They want their own way. They want their own standard of morality. So it's the great exchange. They said, we're going to exchange your truth about God for a lie. We'll take the lie over truth, over God. And what, the, what happens when you do that? You worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So now you become the God of your own life. And that is where we are at. We must silence the lies in the middle of a culture that, 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 is, that has exchanged truth for a lie. So how can we silence the lies? This is what I would tell you. If the noise, listen, this is so important. If the noise of the culture is louder in your ears than the truth of God's word, you will continually find it difficult to win spiritual battles. Write that down. Is, it, is that quote on your handout? Is that quote on your handout? Take that handout home, laminate it, save it, put it in your Bible, cut out that quote. This is, this is so true. Listen, if the noise of the culture is louder, it's about who's louder in your ear, God and his word or the deception of the culture. If the noise of the culture, through the many ways that we get messages, is louder in your ears than the truth of God's word, you will continually lose and find it difficult to win spiritual battles. When the enemy's throwing those arrows at you of discouragement and fear and temptation and sin, because you, you, you've drowned out his voice. So how do we silence the lies? We need God's word. Ephesians 5 talks about God's word, that God's word sanctifies. Ephesians 5, 25, it sanctifies, it cleanses, and it washes. That's the picture of God's word, that it's a sanctifying work. It is a cleansing work. It's a washing work. So when the, when the lies of the enemy have penetrated, we need the helmet of salvation that is, that is like the word of God that cleanses our mind. It washes our mind. We need to be in God's word until God's word gets into us. Get into God's word till God's word gets into us, into you. The enemy wants to press. You remember that? You remember that illustration I did a while back with the with the Plato. Remember I had the Plato and I talked about Romans twelve two about not being conformed to the world. You remember that? And I took the the white Plato. I talked about how the world, the enemy wants to press into us these ideas that will conform us into the image of the world, into the image of Satan, and and into his ways. And I took the white Play-Doh that represents us, right? And if we're not careful, we don't silence the lies. I took the white Play-Doh, and I took several different colors of Play-Doh, and I slowly, doesn't happen overnight, right? The enemy gets those thoughts, those ideas get pressed into you, and you just adopt even a a different standard of, of morality and what's right and wrong. That's why you have a lot of Christians who, 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 won't, who won't hold up biblical fidelity. And they'll compromise truth of God's word because the culture has pressed into their thinking. And before you know it, 
You don't look like a believer anymore. You're just, you're just multicolored look to you that, that you just can kind of be flexible to believe different things that are not true and are not godly. Romans 12, 2 gives us that picture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, so here's what happens when we silence the lies, we put on the helmet of salvation, we silence the lies so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is true, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. So we need the shield of faith to protect us from the lies of the enemy. We, lay, we rest all of our weight on you, God. We say, God, I am trusting in your ways, not trusting in the ways of this world and the lies of the enemy. And I am going to wash my mind. I'm going to silence the lies in my life through the helmet of salvation. I'm going to resist the lies. I'm going to silence all the influences that are trying to take away God's truth from my life. And this is what I want to tell you. I want to challenge you with this. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what your kids see you watch. You know, we, I, you know, I, I, I grew up as a homeschooled child. And there's kind of this idea that's out there with homeschooled children, this idea that's out there with parents who care about what their children consume, that maybe you can kind of hover over them too much and be too overprotective. And, and you know, you're not letting your child experience the world, experience life. And here's what I would tell you. There is nothing, zilch, nada, nothing in this world and its ways that our children or you and I as adults need to experience for us to figure out that God's ways are better. Nothing that's out there. And really, you know what I feel like that is? That, that's a demonic pressure from the enemy on parents who want to protect your kids. Listen, they're going to get 18. They're going to leave the house. They're going to do what they want to do. And my goal is that when I have my kids for those 17, 18 years, I'm going to protect and I'm going to guard and they're going to watch what I let them watch. Now, they're going to do what they want to do when they get older and maybe they'll sneak around me. So look, that'll happen. But the things I have control over, I'm going to protect and guard. And that same, that same amount of determination must be for our lives as adults. We can't stop it just because our kids got older. We must be careful with what we take into our ears and our eyes. Because if we're not careful, it will slowly erode away the moral convictions that we have as Christians. And then, and then we just look like the world. We don't look like God and his ways. So as we conclude, we need to understand the battle never stops. We need the shield of faith, which is trust. We've got to trust in the Lord. And we need God's word to wash our minds And this last point is so important. We cannot fight in isolation. We cannot fight in isolation. And this is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to be on an island in the spiritual battle. He wants you to be by yourself, to not be connected with brothers and sisters. I've got a picture to show you as we conclude here. This is a picture of Roman soldiers. Do you remember the shield I I told you about? Two foot, four and a half feet. This is a group of soldiers moving in a battle formation. And if you notice that all of the, the shields that they have, it not only covers them individually, but it does what? Whenever we are together and we're in the battle together, what happens? We are protecting one another as well when we're in battle. This is a picture of what I think it looks like as brothers and sisters in Christ for us to fight together. That, that I can't be out on an island by myself fighting spiritual battles and expect that I'm going to win the victory every time. I must have a brother to come by me. To, to put his shield up with me and say, hey, brother, 
I see you got your shield up. I want you to know I got mine up too. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. Let's walk together with, with like-minded people that have their shield up, that have their helmet on, that have their sword, that have their belt of truth on, that have their breastplate on, that we are together. We are in this battle together, and we will not leave someone behind. And here's what happens. When we do get out on the island, we get by ourselves, we get disconnected. I, I know what happens in many ways. We get disconnected, we get offended. Somebody said this, the pastor, pastor does something I don't like or says something I don't like, and then you get offended, then you get isolated. And then you're in the middle of a spiritual battle and you're on an island and you're like, I wish I had somebody I could talk to. And you know what the, the, the truth is? Is that all of us in here, we all experience the same battles. We've all gone through the same things. Many of us have experienced battles that we would love the opportunity to say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I've won that victory. Here, come, let me show you. Let me show you how you can do that. Let me show you how you can, how you can win that victory. I'll show you what God's showed me. That's, the, that's that picture. It's that picture of battling together. It's the picture of, a, of Galatians 6. Brothers, so speaking to us, brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And here's the key section. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what do we do as a body of believers? We bear each other's burdens. So here's what I would tell you as we close. Connection, and not fighting in isolation, takes intentionality. So here's what I want to challenge you with as as your pastor here this morning. Be intentional with your spiritual life. Be intentional to connect to brothers and sisters. And, and here's what I am so excited about with our church. We launched these discipleship groups, these D groups, just a couple of months ago. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And what was great about these D groups is that you had the life groups that would meet, and that would typically be 15 to 20 people that would meet once a month in homes. And the D groups are discipleship groups that, that, that men meet with men, and women meet with women, in groups of three to five, and they meet weekly. And I didn't know what was going to happen. It was something that was new. Maybe people were going to be skeptical and wait to see if it would be around for a while. But we had over 250 of you that have jumped into D groups. And I'm telling you, week after week, I've heard testimony. Oh, thank God for my D group. I'm in God's word more than I ever have been. And we get to discuss God's word with other people. And we're growing in our faith. So I would challenge you, in any way possible, get into a life group. When we start to advertise D groups over again... Get into a D group. If you, if you want to lead a D group, if, if you feel like God's called you, and I believe God's called everyone to disciple somebody, step up, jump in, be intentional. It takes intentionality to be connected. You can get plugged in through women's ministry, through men's ministry, through the youth group. You can get plugged in through House of Hope, through the different outreaches that, that we do. There's many ways for you to lock arms with each other, to say it's, this is not about me, it's not about my ideas, about church and all this stuff. This is it's about each other. This is about the mission that God has called us to. Because here's what I know is true. I'm, I'm, I'm closing here. Here's what I know is true. The enemy loves nothing more than a bunch of defeated Christians. He loves nothing more than wounded, defeated, discouraged Christians who are chasing after the things of the world, who are chasing after, after offense, who are chasing after all the different things the enemy wants us to chase after. And we are spiritually ineffective as a church. Because remember, what's our mission? 
is to exalt Christ. We want to see people born again. We want to work together to see God grow this church, to see men and women come and be born again. Amen? And that happens in our lives as we will lock arms and say, we recognize that it is a battle and we're going to win this war together. The war's already won, but we're going to win these battles together. Amen? Do you stand to your feet with me? We're going to win the battles together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I love you guys. I love God's work in this church. I love each one of you. I love that God has placed a love in my heart for you as, as a church. I'm thankful for where God has us as a church. And I know God has in store for us great things. And so once you close your eyes with me this morning, God, I just pray. I pray over all of us here this morning. God, I, I just, I know that there are many people here that are facing spiritual battles this morning. God, they are struggling. They're in the middle of the battle. So, God, I I take the time, God, and I pray for them. God, we come before you this morning, and, and, and we pray for each other. God, I pray for men and women that are overwhelmed in the battle. God, they're, they're, they're maybe they're discouraged right now. They're filled with fear. God, I pray, God, that your courage would be filled back in their heart and, and in their mind. I pray that the lies of the enemy that would, has, has been pressed on their heart and telling them to give up, to give up hope, God, I pray that they would resist those lies, that they would link arms with a brother and a sister to find encouragement. God, I pray for those also here this morning, God, that are struggling with sin and temptation, that the enemy has been tempting them in a, in a particular area of sin and they've been losing that battle. Lord, I pray that they would pick up that shield of faith, that they would trust you more than the enemy, and then that they would silence the lies. They would believe the truth. I thank you for I thank you for the victory, God. It belongs to you, and you have won the victory for us. I thank you for this church. Lord, bless us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.